Good morning, everybody. This is March Twisdell, producer and host of Prose, Poetry, and Purpose. And if you're listening right now on the radio, it must be 11 a.m. on a Saturday or Sunday. Otherwise, you may be picking this up from my website, marchtwisdell.com, as a podcast. Thank you for joining us. As always, Prose, Poetry, and Purpose is recorded in the studios of Voice of Vashon, broadcast here on 101.9 KVSH. You can learn more about the show at voiceofvashon.org or visit my website, marchtwisdell.com. Today, I am interviewing Dr. Ben Lynch, author of a book titled Dirty Genes. And we're not talking about pants, people. We're talking G-E-N-E, genetics. So, Ben, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a local Seattleite through and through myself, so I love it here. And I graduated from the University of Washington in cell molecular biology and then decided to go to Bastyr University and got my naturopathic physician's degree from there. And my passion is really to help people who are really committed to being healthy, how they can be healthy and understand the steps that they really need to take without guessing what's trying to eliminate the guesswork. And my true passion deep, deep down is to optimize the lives of unborn children. And as a father of three boys, Matthew, Tasman, and Theo, I have firsthand experienced how important and kids are. They are a future literally. And, uh, you know, we do everything for them. So just make them as healthy as possible and to support the next generation as well. So in a way, we're talking about epigenetics. Is that true? Yes, it is. Could you go ahead and define for everyone, including me, what exactly epigenetics is? Epigenetics is the stuff above your genes. So epi means above or around, and genetics are your genes. So your genes are static, meaning they are written in code. So they... You're born with your genes, and that's it. Now, what's cool is the epigenetics, meaning that's what controls your genes to turn on or off and how they behave. So just because you have ice cream in your freezer doesn't mean it's going to make you fat, right? Mm -hmm. You have to eat that ice cream. And so if you have genes which make you fat, you have to do lifestyle things which make you fat. So those are the epigenetics. So the epigenetics are contributed by anything in your environment, and the environment is defined as anything that is not you. The air, the food, the water, the soil, um, you know, external energies, you know, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, EMF, 4G, uh, all these things, you know, light, these all affect how your genes turn on or off and how they're functioning. So so give us an example of something completely natural, because we're all a little anxious about the effects of humanity on the planet. But what's an, exa- an epigenetic example that's completely normal, healthy, and natural? Well, a perfect epigenetic example is light. And I, I love using light because it's one that we can all relate to. When it starts getting dark outside or it's dark and gloomy in Seattle, we notice we get more tired and we need to sleep. And when it's bright and sunny, we're more alert. And so when the sun comes up in the morning after you've been sleeping all night, that those sunlight rays come into your bedroom, go through your thin eyelids, and go through your eyes, and they trigger your genes to say, hey, stop producing melatonin, start producing cortisol, so this individual can wake up. 
And so the light will trigger your genes to fire and other genes to stop firing. In the evening, you know, the sun will go down, the lights will turn off, and then your eyes will sense that it's very dark outside and your melatonin will start going up and your cortisol will naturally start going down. And that is because the light has stimulated those genes to produce those things or to stop producing them. So this is one of the reasons why um, using computers in the evening makes it hard for people to sleep because the light shining into your eyes is confusing the natural biosystem. Yeah, the, the, the eyes, you know, the genes are not firing because there's still light coming through and your melatonin isn't being made. And as we age, as we get older, our melatonin levels naturally decline immensely anyway. So as a kid, you might get away with it and, you know, not as good as sleep, but still sleep. Now, when we get older, you're reading in bed or watching TV or using a screen. Uh, you're really going to have a difficult uh, sleep. And, and this is the genes that are being affected, not something higher up. Like I think of genes as being, you know, those two little crossed chromosomes. Is it something else in the body that's being affected by light or is it literally, how, are, how do epigenetics affect genetics? Well, what happens is the light comes through, uh, you know, it's in the environment, goes through our eyelid, and then our genes are buried inside the nucleus of our cells, right? Right. So the nucleus houses our DNA, and so, but there's little antenna on the outside of the cells. And so all these signals start firing, and when light comes through, it sends various signals. The signals attach to the receptors onto the cell membranes, and then those receptors or those signals come through and they wake up the, the genes inside the nucleus to do their thing. And genes respond by producing things. So genes do work. Genes make things. And so Okay, okay, people- let's just stop right there. Because I this is fascinating. This is so fascinating. I certainly was not educated by our government school system back in the seventies to know anything about the idea that, like you said earlier, genes are static. That idea, I think, is really stuck in a lot of our heads. We have the sense that genes just do nothing whatsoever after they've grown you. That's it. They're, like, over. It sounds like that is not true. Far from. Wow. Far from. Far, far from. Okay, so we have a lot to cover, and I think I'm going to, for a second, leave that there. So everyone listening, guys, I think we just need to take a deep breath and say... Not surprisingly, the medical scientific world has changed dramatically in the last 50 years, and we're going to learn something really interesting in the next hour. Okay, so let's talk about the title of your book, A Breakthrough Program to Treat the Root Cause of Illness and Optimize Your Health. But the name is so interesting, Dirty Genes. I guarantee you my husband had a reaction to that. And the cover, which um, has sort of... um, it's a green circle on a white background, and then there's like this, it's like the inside of the circle of a Petri dish that had like a bunch of dirt in it, and then there's like someone wiped half of it clear with like a baby wipe or something. It's a very interesting design. Tell us how you chose this and why. It was a fight. A fight? It was a fight. It was a fight. <laughs> I yeah. bet. Yeah, it was a fight because anytime you write a book, it's, you know, big publishers want a top 40 hit, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, they want to grab people. And so the original title was Seven Deadly Genes. And I fought because 
one, genetics are already scary for people, mm-hmm. and they're disempowering, and there's a lot of fate and woe is me. I have this gene, and therefore I can't do anything, so I'm going to just go ahead and eat like crap anyway, and away we go. I wouldn't pick up that book. Seven Deadly Genes, first of all, sounds like Seven Deadly Sins, so it sounds like it's got some Christian religious background. And secondly, if they're deadly genes and I can't do anything about them, why do I want to worry myself about it? I wouldn't have touched that book. Exactly, exactly. And it it literally took me, I think, five phone calls uh, with a few people to say, no, I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the writer that I worked with, Rachel, uh, who I dedicated the book to, she, she was like, well, what are you actually discussing? I said, look, the genes that I focus on are genes that are really, really influenced by our choices in life. And if we make good choices, healthy choices, generally speaking, like 80% of the time, our genes will be happy and they'll function. They'll, be, they'll go on. Now, if we choose to have 80% of our choices gum up our genes and make them not work very well, they're not going to perform and we're going to get symptoms and disease. And she's Mm -hmm. like, 30, 30, 30 genes. I was like, what? She goes, 30 genes. So if you, if you choose to do things that make your genes dirty through stress, bad sleep, unhealthy food, chemicals in the environment, they get dirty and they can't work very well. Is that what you're saying? I said, I said, yeah, that's perfect. And I said, it was even better about that is that you can clean them up. You can put them in the wash and scrub them clean. And if you wait too long, though, if you have a a bowl of granola and then you sit it on the counter and you come back two hours later, Mm -hmm. it's going to be pretty hard to clean. But if you rinse it right after, it's very easy. Mm -hmm. So if you make a bad choice or a choice to, not even a bad choice, but a choice to party last night. We partied last night. It was my kid's birthday. I had cake and pie with my boys at 8.30 at night. My sleep was a wreck because I had too much sugar, and their sleep was a wreck. We dirtied our genes. But tonight, I'm not going to do that, so I'll clean them up. I like um, here it says, many of us inherently believe, perhaps suggested by a doctor or relative, that we are vulnerable to disorders and diseases based on the conditions that run in our families. However, according to Dr. Ben Lynch, far from being written in stone, our genetic destiny can be rewritten by making simple adjustments to our environment and lifestyle. All right. So, wow, it's a great story. You know, I, I love all the stories that I get from my authors, things you would never know just picking up the book off the shelf. My goal is to empower people, and the majority of people, the vast majority, are saying, wow, this is the first book I actually read on genetics or the first time I actually feel excited about wanting to know more about my genes and actually get a genetic test done or even not even get genetic tests done, but I I don't feel scared about the genetics that I've inherited from my mom and dad and my other ancestors because I know I can make personal choices to support my life. And you have been practicing in this field for how long now? I first really got into genetic stuff themselves in about 2011, Mm -hmm. and I've been focusing on environmental medicine since about 2005. So when I was working with environmental medicine, You know, basically how chemicals, food, polluted air, Wi-Fi signals, light. But I didn't make the connection down to the genetic level. I just knew that chemicals were could be bad. I knew that uh, certain foods uh, can be bad. I knew that uh, polluted air could be bad and unfiltered water and so on. But I didn't understand 
what they did. I just knew that we had to get them out of the person's body or avoid them from getting in there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if a person came in with the same exact exposure, say they had high arsenic levels, I would put them on the same protocol uh, to get the arsenic out, but there was totally different responses from them, completely. Same problem, mm-hmm. same symptoms, same treatment, different responses. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to the, the number one environmental medical doc in the world who I was working with, uh, Dr. Bill Ray. I said, don't you think there's a genetic component to this? He goes, yeah, probably, but we don't have those tools yet. And I've never had those tools. You know, he's probably 90 at this point. And uh, he goes, so I, I don't go there. I was like, man, I want to look into this. And so I started looking into it. Everything is at the genetic level. So or, how did that whole, how did that go about? You, you got curious. You started asking questions and wondering about this. And your mentor wasn't going to go there. So how, where did you go next? So what I went to next, it, it was a long evolution. I mean, because I... I, there wasn't really much around at that point. And uh, so I just kind of went on knowing in my heart that there was something genetic, but I, I couldn't get the information really well. And, you know, Genova had a, a lab test on detoxification, and I was excited about that, but it was super expensive. It was just a few genes, and it didn't really help me that much. It just showed me that there was a problem, but it didn't show me how to address it. And so... If I think if you order a genetic test or any test and it shows a problem, you should have some tools so you know how to fix it or support it. Right. So it, it was a number of years later, and it wasn't until I saw that Nova video on the Tale of Two Mice, which I talked about, I think, in Chapter 1, um, where you have these genetically identical mice, completely identical, and they're split up into two groups, and... Uh, they are genetically susceptible to cancer, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. And one group who got standard rat chow and bisphenol A uh, went on to get those conditions. And then the, the other group had standard rat chow, but with bisphenol A as well. And they also had improved nutritional supplements like folate and B12 and, and other things, methylation support. Mm-hmm. They did not get those symptoms or diseases. And I was like, wow. When I, when I saw that video, I was thinking, you're telling me all you had to do was give additional nutritional support despite mm-hmm. the exposure to bisphenol A in garbage food? And then the researcher goes, and we don't know what to do with this, with this information. I said, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right, vitamins. Uh, in a way, it's a loaded term. And yes, so let's, let's, let's delve into that a little bit. Um, I, what I want to do is just remind people that a simple element or whatever they are that we call a vitamin, because vitamins, it's like an umbrella term for a lot of things, that something can have a huge effect that people should understand. So for example, um, let's act, just one that jumps to mind is I believe it's vitamin A and measles. So if you are really, really low in vitamin A and you catch measles, it's a very dangerous disease. And that the simple addition of vitamin A into the person's diet can dramatically improve their body's ability to fight back to measles and have a, a much better case. Or you have um, vitamin C and scurvy. So, so Yeah, well, let, let me stop you there if I may. Yeah. To emphasize this vitamin A point. Mm-hmm. 
So there is a gene for making vitamin A in your body from beta carotene. You are told that carrots are great for your eyes because mm-hmm. they have vitamin A, right? Mm-hmm. But carrots are high in beta carotene. And beta carotene has to be made by a gene in your body into vitamin A. Okay. Now, you should also understand that there are many, many, many people, probably 50% of them, that have a difficult time in converting beta carotene into vitamin A because there is a gene called BCO1 that -hmm. works very slowly to do that job. So they are more likely, more susceptible to having higher levels of beta carotene and lower levels of vitamin A. And your example with the mice is a great example of just the addition of a nutrient allowed the body to do something epigenetically that prevented those vitaminized mice from actually developing the diseases that the other ones developed. Right. And you want to know why? Yes, I do. Tell us. Because... What genes do is they make things, okay? Mm -hmm. So they make things, and what they make typically are enzymes. And these enzymes do work. But the enzymes cannot do work unless there are sufficient vitamins or minerals around, depending on what enzyme you're working with. And enzymes need vitamins to perform, period. Mm -hmm. So if your enzymes do not have vitamins and minerals, Even though the gene is there, it has no genetic problem with it at all. But if there's no vitamin or mineral there to help it work, it won't work. The human body and all other life forms as well are far more complex than we probably yet fully understand and definitely a thousand million times more complex than people thought maybe 50 years ago. So um, your book titled Dirty Genes is designed to bring some of the newest understanding into the the hands of the reader so they can be empowered to make choices where they do have choice, which is their own actions, that can improve their life. Informed choices, not guesswork. Right. So there's, there's a lot of guesswork in health and medicine. There's a lot of theories and so on. What I am proposing or providing in Dirty Genes is actually proven and clinically uh, by me and many, many doctors across the planet uh, who I've trained and been utilizing uh, my methods and they've also taught me their methods and then published literature on how these genes work and what they require and what makes them not work very well. And so let me mention too that when a gene gets dirty, Mm -hmm. it can't perform its job very well. As we, as, we, as we talked about earlier, you can't perform his job very well. Stuff kind of builds up. It's like, you know, you don't wash your dishes, your sink cart's getting full, you're, you start attracting flies, and then your house stinks, and then people, you don't want to bring over friends anymore, and you get depressed, and you can't eat because you don't have, you know, anything to cook with. So there's this downstream effect when one thing gets dirty, mm-hmm. right? So the good thing is you need to understand is you can clean them up, but there's two types of dirty genes. One type of dirty gene is you're born with it. You've inherited it from your mom or your dad or both. And so that gene in utero, you're not even born yet. You're not even into the real world yet, is already acting kind of against you and is limiting your ability to thrive inside your mom's womb. And then you're born into the world and then you can 
have actions that your genes can get dirty. So let's say you were vaccinated uh, right away at birth. Let's say that you're moved into a, a new room, which your mom nested so perfectly with new paint and new mattresses and mm-hmm. new uh, crib that's off-gassing formaldehyde and the carpet's formaldehyde and the paint volatile organic compounds. And they're giving you infant formula, which has got synthetic folic acid in it and sugars and corn syrups. And your genes are getting dirty and you're giving antibiotics. Now your microbiome isn't working. And now that's producing yeast overgrowth, which is making your genes dirty. So what I really want people to understand is if you're born with dirty genes, you can clean them up. But even if you are not born with dirty genes, let's say you're the perfect specimen, the environment can make them all messed up. Right. All my life long, it always comes back to the nature-nurture, like this idea that there's one or the other. It's both. It's both. It's both. What comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so real quick, for folks who have just joined us, my name is March Twisdale. You're listening to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose on 101.9 FM, KVSH. My guest today is Dr. Ben Lynch, and we are discussing his book called Dirty Genes. And we're not talking about pants. We're talking about genetics here. So we are going to dive sideways a little bit here, I think, into an area that is especially um, interesting, preconception, the concept of people who want to have kids and they want to do what they can to prepare ahead of time for their kids to be as healthy as possible, as well as then you want to talk a little bit about there's different stages of life where your dirty genes are going to affect you everywhere from, you know, babyhood, childhood, adult, and then there's aging aspects that people who are in their 50s, hello, average age of Ashon, need to think about differently than someone who is 19, perhaps. So tell us a little bit about this idea of preconception. Boy, my thoughts on preconception are uh, vast. Uh, It is probably the number one thing that we really need to start focusing on, and it's probably the last thing that we focus on because of various reasons, life. Right. Right. But we are on this planet to reproduce. And that's what we do. We're here to perpetuate our species. Now, I don't mean to, you know, reduce us all down to that. But the reality is that's why we're on the planet to reproduce and have kids and continue the human species. And you're not saying that like morally it's a value or a goal. You're just saying biologically that's our fundamental function. Yeah. Yeah. Biologically, that's the fundamental thing for any species on the planet. Thanks for clarifying that. So preconception is a very, very important time because if you are struggling with your own health and you are deficient in vitamins, remember what your genes need in order to function, then those genes aren't functioning. And if you're pregnant, those genes have roles to do in order to support you and your placenta development and your developing baby. So you have to make sure that your genes are clean as well as you can prior to pregnancy or during pregnancy if you get pregnant, you know, by surprise, which a lot of us do. I mean, Mm -hmm. every one of my kids was, oh, okay then. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so... You know, you can't always prepare. You know, the whole preconception notion is the gold standard where I want people to go, but that just doesn't always happen. So, you know, say you get pregnant or you're just hearing this and you're three months along, that's okay. You just start, you know, taking action now, wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, so 
the, the goal here is to make the necessary steps to support your genes wherever you are in this and do the best that you can because you're not only impacting your own genes with pregnancy, because you are, because you're using a lot of nutrients to develop your placenta and you're developing baby and to maintain both and your own life, your own neurotransmitters, your own detoxification system, your own uh, brain, your own skin health and all that. There's a lot going on. And a lot of people, they want convenience. They want a one pill a day or a gummy or a chewable that gives them all the nutrition they need. And you know what? That's not possible because there's a lot of nutritional demand during pregnancy and not a time for convenience. It's a time for optimization. Because mm-hmm. I will also mention that if you are pregnant with a girl, your choice for prenatal is not only affecting your health and your baby's health, but it's affecting your grandkids' health. Right, of course. All the animals on planet Earth are not walking around suddenly eating pills when they get pregnant. But what they are doing is they're eating a natural, appropriate diet. And they have, because it's a raw diet and their nose is working, they can smell when they want something different. And they're wandering around and maybe mama deer goes over here and eats from this bush because it smells really good to her. And she doesn't know that there's something in that that her body needs. But her body knows it, so it's going to smell really good. I remember wanting, because I was being told, you know, tons and tons of protein. And I'm like, yeah, but you're also worried about kidney function and too much protein affects kidneys. And I was like, can't I just eat a super incredibly healthy natural diet and get the nutrients that I need during pregnancy instead of this idea of going to pills? What are your thoughts about that? Well, ideally, we get everything from our food, for sure. I mean, if you look at, at nature, you're right. These animals do very, very well. And we're animals. We can't forget that. We are mm-hmm. animals. You know, we, we should be outside roaming the forest just like they are, but we've created tools and conveniences uh, because we can do that. They can't, or maybe they choose not to. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the reality is they are outside. They are not wearing anything or eating anything synthetic. Right. Unfortunately, they are if we, you know, spray fields and, and so on. We probably are making an impact there. Um, And ideally, we get it from food, and the majority should come from food. The problem is a lot of food that we're getting from the store looks good, but it's nutritionally deficient. Mm -hmm. So, you know, organic does have higher levels of nutritional content in it compared to conventional non-organic food. Mm -hmm. That's been proven uh, in research. So definitely go organic. And if you can't afford organic, grow your own. And if you can't afford that, then avoid the dirty dozen. And you can go to Environmental Working Group, Google EWG Dirty Dozen, and avoid those 13 foods because they're very, very full of chemicals. And those chemicals are a huge problem for your kids. I'm all about optimization. Our tagline is optimizing life. So eat as well as you can, and then supplement as well. And supplement means to add to or to enhance. Supplement doesn't mean to eat a horrible diet and then take a bunch of vitamins and minerals to compensate for it. A lot of people try to do that and it doesn't work. So, I mean, you might get lucky and work short term, but if you're eating, you know, if you're eating a processed food, you know who you are and what you're doing Mm -hmm. and you're trying to take vitamins to make up for it. It's not the right situation. Right, right, right. Okay. So, 
you actually are writing a separate book specific about that topic that's going to come out eventually soon, yes? I would say eventually, yeah, probably 2020 or 2021. And Dirty Jeans does have a ton of uh, insights for this right now. So if you you don't want to wait, you don't need to wait. You just read Dirty Jeans because just like you mentioned, I don't want people supplementing when they're cleaning their dirty jeans. So, and I say that all throughout the book, don't take a supplement until you start doing these lifestyle changes and start changing your diet and and, uh, these other things in your environment a bit because you need to know your baseline. Mm -hmm. You've got to find your baseline first. If you just reach for a bottle of pills without altering your diet or experiencing the amazing changes you can get from simple, simple changes, Mm -hmm. simple changes, typically avoidance. It's not even addition of things, and it's free. Right. So, you know, you you start out by doing these things. That's what's called the soak and scrub method in the book. And the spot cleaning is when you start adding supplements. But you got to find your baseline first. Okay, okay. So in other words, know thyself. Yes, exactly. And that's the beauty of Dirty Jeans is you can – you start uncovering who you truly are when you clean up your diet. And maybe you already knew who you truly were, you know, earlier on. And then you, you knew you were a type A driven person. You, you were a go-getter. You were hardly ever depressed. You were a night owl. You were driven. But now you're insomniac. Now you're irritable. Maybe you've suffered uh, breast cancer or estrogen-sensitive cancer later. And there are genes that increased susceptibility for this type of personality and thus also the negatives of that, which I also just mentioned, the estrogen-sensitive cancers, the insomnias and irritability and so on, and PMS. So there's genes which have benefits, but everything is a bell-shaped curve. Mm -hmm. You know, being driven is fantastic, but being driven to the point where you stay up until 3 in the morning working isn't beneficial. Right. Right. And start dirtying you up. And that's where we fall into the realm of, of what's going on inside our heads. You know, I know that if I go to bed 8.30 or 9 when I first feel tired, that I'm going to be way healthier, feel great tomorrow morning, blah, 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 blah. But this little voice in the back of your head says, yeah, but what could I get done maybe between now and 11 if I just stay awake? And so next thing you know, you're making yourself a cup of black tea, you know, with caffeine in it. And now your body kicks in with the cortisol and you wake up again, second wind. Yay. You think you're getting ahead, but you're actually falling behind and you even know it, but can you stop yourself? So the psychology piece is huge. Do you go into that at all in your book? Big time. Okay. <laughs> Cause I need Big that. <laughs> yeah. Because that was a there's... self-descript. That was a self-description people. I'll just, yeah, I'll just own up to yeah. it. <laughs> I, was, I was right there with you. And I've, I've gotten a lot better, but I'm still, you know, I'm fighting it. And we are somewhat genetically programmed for this. And if you go back to our ancestors and maybe you go back, way back into a few hundred years and maybe your ancestor uh, was the one in front of the cave alert and focused and ready to wake up everyone else who's slumbering and, and deep asleep. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's genes which increase your alertness and your focus and your ability to stay awake. And there's other genes which allow you to fall asleep and be relaxed in the ultimate uh, danger threat. And you can still fall asleep and you're like, eh, that's fine. You know, <laughs> so 
You know, it's like, I want that one. But not really. You know, you, you got to have someone that's got your back. Mm-hmm. So there are genes which increase your uh, ability to have higher levels of dopamine, which is that feel-good uh, neurotransmitter which you get when give, somebody gives you a hug or when you drink alcohol or smoke a cigarette or any type of addiction will feed your dopamine. Social media, the ding of a like increases mm-hmm. your dopamine. That's why phones are so dang addictive these days, especially for kids. So when you have higher levels of dopamine, you are tendency to have less of an addictive personality because you already have a lot of dopamine. Now, for example, for my kid, he has a gene which gets rid of his dopamine really fast, and he doesn't make it as fast either. So his dopamine levels tend to be lower in susceptibility, not always, but they tend to be lower. And so he's, as a teenage boy, loves shopping because he wants new things because shopping gives you dopamine hits. He wants sugar, dopamine hits, right? Mm-hmm. So he's more relaxed in stressful situations. Whereas his middle brother, his dopamine levels are totally different genetically than his brother. So I'm curious how you found that out. Genetic testing. What can you tell people about testing they can actually afford to do? Well, the first one is I would take the test in the book. There's quizzes in the book. And that, to me, is more useful than getting a genetic test, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, because it shows how your genes are acting right now, real time. Mm-hmm. So it's more of an epigenetic quiz than a genetic quiz. Got it. So when you take the quizzes in the book, we call them laundry lists, you know which genes are dirty, and then I show you how to clean them up, and then you do a, a second laundry list, and then you start doing uh, spot cleaning. So you soak and scrub first, and uh, then I show you how to clean all your genes, mm-hmm. all of them, and then after you clean them all, Then you take another more involved quiz. You check, 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 check. It's like, wow, this gene was filthy, but now it's hardly dirty at all. And, you know, but these ones are still dirty. Now we're on the spot cleaning. Spot cleaning, I give you a guide of how to clean up those very specific genes, kind of in isolation, but there's an order in which you clean them. You can't just clean the dirtiest one first. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. There's an order in which you have to clean them. And if you clean them in the wrong order, it won't work or not work as well, or take longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so genetic testing is, I don't really want people running out and getting a genetic test first, because what happens is you get scared, and you get disempowered, and you get reactive. Mm-hmm. And you want to fix that problem gene, or you think it's a problem, but actually could be a benefit to you. In the book, Dirty Genes, I talk about the strengths of these genes, with they're born dirty, or are dirty, or acting dirty. But if they're, they can get that strength to now become a, a negative. So we talk about that in the book, too, mm-hmm. heavily. Okay. So, you know, it, I don't want people running out and getting genetic tests done. If you already had a genetic test done, put it aside, read the book, do the quizzes, do the work, because health is really work. That's what it is. I mean, yeah. health, you're never really cured of anything. The term cure is ironic because Health is a dynamic thing in life. You know that. One day mm-hmm. you, you go through life and you're fine. Another, you know, maybe an hour later you got a headache. You know, it's, you're constantly working on it. Mm-hmm. If a poison can kill you in 30 minutes, then obviously just giving up on water for eight hours can have an effect, right? Big time. And, 
you know, and if you get a if you get a illness like a lung infection, you know, let's say you had pneumonia or uh, or what have you, and then after pneumonia, you know, now you're realizing you're just constantly tired, and guy, now your senses smell of gas and plastics and asphalt, and your you know the scented uh, dryer sheets, which are horrible, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, you know, anything spray to smell good is yeah, bad. Bad. Yeah, I agree. And anything, and, and who came up with the invention that clean has to have a smell? Clean is the absence of smell. <laughs> so um, that aside, uh, just know that you are depleting yourself of your ability to get rid of certain things or you know chemicals. So. Infections really limit your body's number one antioxidant called glutathione. And there's a gene in the body called GSTGPX, which I discussed in the book. And anytime you get sick, you're really lowering that glutathione. Mm-hmm. And that predisposes you to being sensitive to smells, having neurotransmitter problems, being tired all the time, um, having cardiovascular issues, having cancer risk. Uh, you name it, you got it. So it's very, very important to replenish after a stressful situation like that. Right, right. I mean, you know, I raised my boys very, you know, very, very clearly. If you have any symptoms of being sick, including the lethargy and tiredness that can come before the first symptoms, you stay home and you don't go out into public. And that's just a basic common decency, respect for other people type of thing. You know, keep yourself and your germs at home if you're sick. Well, another piece of that is the second you feel sick or have that sense you might get sick, immediately rest. I mean, when I was in my 20s and I would start to feel sick, I w- didn't matter who I worked for, I would call in sick and they'd be like, you sound great. I'm like, nope, I'm starting to get sick. I got to sleep right now. And I would be sick for one or two days maximum. My coworkers would come to work with all their symptoms. And after a week of pushing themselves, would finally call in sick because they were super sick. They'd end up being out for like a week or a week and a half. Um, and then the rest of us would all get sick. And I just remember thinking, nothing about that worked. You know, just take care of yourself right away. My chiropractor says um, being sick is a a 40-hour-a-week job, full-time job. Yeah, yeah, and and that's perfect. You know, a lot of us are driven to say, oh, I'm getting sick. I'm going to be a wimp if I, you know, take a nap. No, when you get that feeling, you know, you're walking down the aisle in the store and it just hits you, like, Mm -hmm. whoa, I don't feel right. (laughs) You just kind of leave the cart where it is, grab your purse, feel bad for the stockist, but that's their job. And you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go home, you go to bed, and that's such a smart thing to do. Yeah. All right. So you have your beautiful baby, and you're making decisions about the medical care for your child. And someone says to you, hey, we've got this idea that every human on the planet should do these things, you know, hep B vaccine on the day of birth, blah, 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 blah. Do all these vaccines. It'll be great for everybody. It's safe. It's effective. Go for it. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Okay, let me ask you this question before I answer answer that one. Yes. Does everybody need high blood pressure medication? No. Should there be a law that everyone needs to be on high blood pressure medication because it costs the, the, the entire world, a lot of money when people have high blood pressure. And when you get stressed out, you get high blood pressure. So let's just put everybody on a high blood pressure med. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, but that wouldn't work, and we know that wouldn't work. So vaccines, what do vaccines do? We have to ask ourselves, what do vaccines do? What do they do? You're asking me. Yes. Uh, the common idea of a vaccine is that you insert some piece of a known pathogen and you combine it with an adjuvant, which will wake up the immune system. And you hope the immune system is going to identify that and say that's scary and then remember it for a long time. So if you're exposed to it again in a natural environment, the immune system will immediately respond prior to you developing symptoms and eliminate the pathogen. Okay. You said a lot of important things there. What's the job of the adjuvant? The adjuvant shocks the immune system so that it pays attention to the thing that otherwise wouldn't hurt you because what's in vaccines usually can't actually cause the disease. It's such a broken small piece. Okay. But what if someone's immune system is already going bonkers and there's no way to control it? It's on fire. It's roaring. Then the adjuvant's going to freak out something that's already freaked out. Right. Right. And that is what's happening in a lot of autistic kids. These kids' brains are on fire and... It's kind of an autoimmune type reaction because there's no way to turn off that crazy fire mm-hmm. when they're already on fire. And there's the, the body's natural ways to combat immune fires mm-hmm. are present in the body. That's why a lot of us don't have autoimmune disease because we have ways when we get an infection, we, we create the fires, we kill the infection. The immune system then gets calmed down. Right. The repair systems come into play, and they put the fire out, and they repair everything that was secondary got burned. You know, your house got on fire, you lost your furniture, and so on. You buy new furniture, and so you have a cleanup crew that comes in. Yeah. The problem is with a lot of autistic children, their in utero experience is already problematic. So maybe the mother has an infection and the baby is also now exposed to that. Maybe they got Lyme. Maybe they have, um, you know, a, a bad microbiome. Maybe there's yeast overgrowth or, or uh, pseudomonas or other type of bacteria that's causing their immune system already to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're deficient in vitamin D, which is really important. And vitamin D deficiency during pregnancy is very, very common, especially in the winter, especially mm-hmm. here in Seattle. We have vitamin D deficiency in Seattle hugely because the sun only produces vitamin D in very few months. Even if the sun is out in the winter, right. not making vitamin D. It's not high enough in the sky. And the if you're older, D, it's even harder, isn't it? Yes, when you're older or overweight. Mm. Both. So, Or darker skin. So if you have darker skin, older and overweight, or all three, mm-hmm. then, and you live in Seattle, and you're fully clothed, and you always wear sunscreen, and you work inside, and you don't go outside very much, mm-hmm. or you go outside fully clothed, right. you're going to be vitamin D deficient. If you don't eat fish or fatty foods, you're going to be vitamin D deficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a huge, huge problem. And so vitamin D deficiency is a big one. And what I also wanted to share with is pregnancy. Is the baby foreign to the mother? I think so. Yes, absolutely. The baby is a foreign object. It's an alien to the immune system. The mother's immune system will naturally kill the baby because it's foreign. Mm-hmm. And, but during pregnancy, 
the mother's immune system is naturally calmed down. That's why people with rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's or any type of an autoimmune condition feel better during pregnancy because their immune system is calmer in order to allow the baby to survive and thrive. But what happens during pregnancy now is now women who are pregnant are told to take certain vaccines and get the flu shot right. during pregnancy. Right. That's a new thing. I mean, right? It's That's relatively new. new. Yeah. It's crazy. But what's, the, what's happening is those flu shots or those vaccines during pregnancy are stimulating the immune system of the mother and... At a time when it's supposed to be quiet. Yes. Yes. And so the baby's brain gets on fire and the mother may abort or they may have a very difficult pregnancy. So, and this is being reported. There's women, uh, a number of them who are having miscarriages due to these things because their immune system is now, you know, sees the baby as foreign because it's upregulated. You know, it's really interesting in the world of vaccine medicine, and I call it vaccine medicine because that's what we're talking about. It's an area of medicine. It's an important and valuable area of medicine. Um, But what's interesting is that when you look at veterinary care and you look at how we take care of our pets and their discussions of vaccine medicine, it's completely different than the discussion within the human community. For example, when the West Nile virus was coming into the state of Washington, which I think was roughly a about 10, 9 to 10 years ago, I believe they had the first, um, it comes in by mosquito, right? Uh So they had the first case of West Nile virus, which had been making its way across the country from the East Coast. It initially came up, I think, from the Caribbean. And so um, where it came in from Africa initially. So anyways, um, when it first came into the state of Washington, um, the response of the veterinary community was, okay, so we're going to because it'll, it'll make your horse very sick. Um, it'll also make people sick. Um, but it'll make your horse really sick, and they were concerned about the health of their horses. And so they said, we're going to vaccinate horses, encourage this. And especially if you have um, people who had pregnant mares, a lot of times you spend a lot of money and effort having, you know, you pay stud fees, whatnot. You know, you've got this perfect baby on the way. And so they vaccinated a lot of pregnant mares in the state of Washington in one specific year. And they had a 30% spontaneous abortion rate that year, which is just off the charts. So within the horse community, within one year, people got it. You do not vaccinate your pregnant mare with West Nile virus. Uh It was an immediate response to the clear information. You talk to the vets, they'll say, oh, no, we don't do that anymore. We did that in that year. Horrible idea, bad outcome, or babies would be, be stillborn. And they're like, no, we don't do it. So there's an immediate reaction. There's um, a vaccine that was given to cats that was shown to be directly causing a specific form of really, really, really bad cancer directly at the injection site for cats. It was discussed openly. They said, we have to solve this. You know, pet owners are really upset. Their cats are dying. And they came up with a new way of administering the vaccine, and they eliminated whatever it was that was causing the cancer because the cancer would happen really soon. So we know that vaccine medicine can cause unintended side effects and consequences. And we discuss it openly in the veterinary world. And then when it comes to humans, there's this fear of discussing it. Well, there's a big fear of discussing it. And as soon as you discuss the need for improving the situation or individualizing vaccines, 
based on the individual versus the whole entire population, right. you're immediately labeled as an anti-vaxxer. Right. And if you're pro-vaccines, you know, you're for some of them, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm for some if you go to a, a foreign country mm-hmm. and there's stuff that will kill you, you know, I'll probably be vaccinated for that. Mm-hmm. But I will look for a vaccine for that particular problem that is aluminum-free and free of uh, thimerosal as well. And aluminum is a huge, huge problem in the human body. Mm-hmm. Huge problem. Right. And the amount of aluminum that these newborns get is massive. Right. And that really dirties your genes. And I've got videos uh, that talk about this on YouTube, and it's, it's, uh, it's a huge problem. So I really want vaccines to be cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And we also need to have a screening protocol for children and, you know, for children, should they be vaccinated or not. I think hepatitis B should not be given to any baby, period. Especially not within hours of coming into the world when the body's doing so much to adjust. No. And and the great book uh, by Dr. Paul Thomas, the book Vaccine Friendly Plan. Oh, yes. He's amazing. He's in Portland, isn't he? He is. Great guy. Yeah. And uh, he and I are working on a registry system where we're taking newborn babies or uh, babies that aren't born yet, and we're tracking them. That's all we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're tracking them for 18 years. Uh, if they're fully vaccinated or uh, not vaccinated at all, mm-hmm. we're going to see who's healthier. Right, right. The vaccinated versus unvaccinated study that has not been done. Yeah, and so we're going to be doing this, and it's already underway. Paul's got a very, very busy practice, and we're getting satellite clinics. Right. And uh, so we're we're uh, we're really excited about this. We'll be I... publishing findings periodically. Yeah, I think your your main point, as you said, is clean up vaccine medicine. I mean, it happens in every other realm of medicine. There's things that were being done in the 70s and the 80s to treat cancer. That right now, if you were to say to a modern doctor, oh, I want to use the meds that my mom used back in 1983, they would not only refuse, they'd be horrified and say that's not even available. Do you have any idea how dangerous that was? We've improved over the last 30 years. What we're using now is so much better. It's the same thing with vaccine medicine. If we're going to approach healthcare in that way at all, we need to endlessly and continuously improve. Well, and there's a long, long delay on it. You know, I'm reading research that has just been published. Mm-hmm. And it will take 30 years for it to get into the clinic. Yeah, literally. I know, I know. So it's, it's frightening. Yeah. So what you're reading in Dirty Genes is literally 30 years ahead of where medicine is now. Right. So that's terrifying. Yeah. But what you also need to know is it's empowering because you can get it at your local bookstore and take yeah. action now. And what I will say is the FDA is very slow in retracting very dangerous things like mm-hmm. the fluoroquinolone type of antibiotics, which are like Cipro. Mm-hmm. Fluoroquinolones have a black box FDA warning on them, which means you have to be very, 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 very careful taking these and they should be used very, very, very rarely. Mm-hmm. But many doctors don't know this, and many doctors will give Cipro anyway just because it works so well, and they don't want to deal with the infection being around. But the problem is people are being bedridden their entire life because of fluoroquinolone. Well, not only that, but if you're going to be casually using one of the most powerful remaining tools we have as an antibiotic, then you're just speeding up the superbug disaster. 
Oh, yeah, and the superbugs are there. there. We get sicker. When you get sick sometimes, you just got, what in the heck was that? You just mm-hmm. get nailed. And uh, so, yeah, these bugs are getting stronger and stronger, and the antibiotics are definitely helping along that, along with all these antibiotics and soaps and Band-Aids. And, or the and misuse of antibiotics, the misuse oh. of them, yeah. Yeah, they're in our water supply. Right. I know. Well, what is it? Something like, I think, well, around 70 or 80% of antibiotics used in the United States are used on, on animals, you yeah, know, and we, cows yeah. and stuff. And then, of course, it all goes right into the into the water. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. This was absolutely a phenomenal hour. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, do contact me as you guys have um, when the next book comes out. I'd like to have you back on the show if you're interested. Absolutely. All right. Um, folks, if you are have only tuned in uh, recently, you're listening to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose here on Voice of Ashton. My name is March Twisdale. My guest today is Dr. Ben Lynch, who is the author of a book titled Dirty Jeans. Now, really quickly, Ben, um, the best way for people to reach you, if I understand correctly, is they can go to drbenlynch.com. Correct? Okay, great. Also, you have um, Facebook live feeds at 2.30 p.m. on Thursdays. If they go to drbenlynch.com, they can get information about that. Yeah, they just go there and uh, they can click the Facebook icon. Um, you know, they can get to the, my Facebook page from that way. Okay. And, uh, you know, they, they can uh, like my Facebook page if they choose to and, yeah. and uh, be, watch the Facebook lives. And I answer people's questions and we have topics and they're a lot of fun. And then there is SeekingHealth.com, like you're trying to find it, folks, SeekingHealth.com, which is, there's going to be a list of doctors that you have personally worked with who um, basically do and understand what it is that you do and understand. Um, you're focused right now um, not on direct practice, but there are doctors there that people can connect with if they feel like they need a little bit of additional support. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they've been trained uh, by me and been following my work for a long time, and, and uh, I, I trust them uh, very much. And so they're they're there. So you just contact my team at seekinghealth.com, and, and uh, they'll help you out. And you can get a lot of progress yourself typically um you know you read the book dirty genes and you start cleaning things up because your doctor's going to tell you this to do anyway uh, right. especially the ones i refer you to so get a little bit ahead yeah uh, by applying those yeah self-empowerment i mean you know empowered radio is what is my focus for the next few years that's what the show is all about is um empowerment through knowledge so thank you very much for helping to um, wake us up a little bit to some of the new information that within the scientific medical world people are hearing about, they already understand, but it doesn't always percolate out into society that quickly. So I appreciate uh, your work. Yeah, well, thank you. Absolutely. All right, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, where my guests share how they hope to inspire positive change in the world, one reader and one listener at a time.